We're finishing off our series. We've just been having a look over the last three weeks at who we are as a church, reminding ourselves of our vision and reminding ourselves of our three core values of truth, transformation and presence. Liberty Church is a church who hold on to and hold out truth. That's the gospel. It's the truth of who Jesus is, what he's come to do and what he will do in and through his church. We're a people who are pursuing transformation in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And then this afternoon, we're going to look at what it means for us to be a people of presence. And we're going to look at it through the story. You might be familiar with it through the story of the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. Um, someone shout out what page number on? 888. Okay, page 888. If you've got one of our black Bibles, I'm going to read it. Guys, this is a long portion. Bear with me and, and just lock into the passage because this is a beautiful passage that we're reading this afternoon. This is the truth of God's word. And this is, we see just a, a, an opening into not just the heart of Jesus, but the sovereign plan of God for all eternity to bring in a people, to gather in a people into his presence okay here's the background jesus has been teaching he's been performing miracles he's been in a place called galilee which is predominantly a jewish area and now he's walking from galilee to a place called samaria a place where where the jews would have tried to stay away from if they could and we pick it up in verse 7 of john chapter 4 a woman from samaria came to draw water Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his, and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak 
to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I say to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for all the truth that we have heard and sung already this afternoon. Thank you that you are a faithful God. Thank you that you are... You are the King of Kings. Jesus, we thank you that you are enthroned now and everything sits under your feet. And we thank you that now, just for these next few moments, we can sit in the quietness and the privilege of hearing you speak to us through your word by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, help us in this moment. We know that Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work on our hearts. Change as we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, we all hunger for meaningful presence in our lives. And if the last 18 months has taught us anything, it's taught us that is true. We crave for meaningful presence, for a tangible presence. And we know that when we are cut off from a meaningful uh, presence that, that as human beings, we wilt and we wither. We've all felt that over the last 18 months. We feel what it is to be separated from community, separated from people. That's why we have such a s- strong sense to belong. That's why if you look out in the world at the moment, lots of people are kind of heading towards extremist groups, extremist parties. People are throwing themselves into, into gangs because they find in them a sense of belonging. They find something in those groups, something that no one else is offering them. And they'll enter into it. And even if they don't agree with everything that, that's being sold to them, they will take part in it because they feel welcome. Because they find community. Because they find belonging. I was speaking to someone just a few weeks ago who's um, on the Narcotics Anonymous program. And he was talking me through the 12-step program, which everyone who's um, on NA or AA engages in. And if you think of what um, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or Narcotics Anonymous is, this is a deeply social community. 
Like you can attend one of these groups anywhere in the world. Like you land in a city and if you want help, you can walk in and join that group. And it's a group that transcends social class, transcends sex, transcends um, uh, race. You just come in and you belong because you have a shared experience. And I was chatting to my friend and he was walking me through the 11 steps and, and he was talking me through which, which each of the steps are. And he says, you can nail every single one of them. You can nail all 11, but if you don't get the 12 step, it's not going to work. I said, well, what's the 12 step? And he said, getting along someone else, being present in someone else's life and helping them. That's interesting, isn't it? The 12 step is to be present to experience meaningful presence and for someone else to experience meaningful presence. Folks, we need it. And it's nothing about being extrovert. This is about being human. This is how God created us. God created us to enjoy presence. The the passage that we're in this afternoon is uh, just a part of John's gospel and we've been in it a little bit the last few weeks and this moment that we find here we might not have picked up on it but it is a moment of cosmic significance our story in chapter four if we had time i know it was a long portion well done for kind of keeping with us there if we had time i would have read chapter two as well so you got off lightly chapter two is the story of a guy called nicodemus and nicodemus is a jewish teacher and if you've got time a wonderful thing to do is to put nicodemus against the woman of samaria and just to see how they contrast so the, this uh, Jewish man, for a starter, there's one difference. This Jewish man comes to Jesus in the dead of night. So she comes in the height of day. He comes in the dead of night and he's been watching Jesus, watching Jesus teaching, watching him heal, seeing the power of Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and he knows that something's different. And so he comes to Jesus and he pretty much says to Jesus, are you, are you God? Jesus turns to him as he always does and just turns the question on its head. And just starts reaching into Nicodemus's heart. And he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. He says, access into the presence of God, Nicodemus, is not based on ethnicity. is not based on religious duty. is not based on your own determination. If you want to come into the presence of God, your heart needs to change. And this was revolutionary for a Jew. This would have flipped his world upside down. God was their God. And Jesus has just blown the door open to say anyone can come. Anyone can come into the presence of God if God changes their heart. And that might be new for Nicodemus, but it's not new for God. That has always been God's plan right from the beginning. He's always been working to establish his presence amongst his people. So you rewind back all the way back to Genesis and you see this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve, the first humanity. And what were they doing? Walking in the garden with God, in the presence of God. God was there. And even when sin put up a dividing wall against humanity and God, even when sin prevented us coming into God's holy presence, God still made ways and gave means for us to come and just have a sense of what it is to be in the presence of God. And so he gave his people the tabernacle. If you know your, uh, your Bible, you know that's a tent that God's people uh, packed up and moved as they walked through the wilderness through the story of the Exodus. And then he gave them the temple. And these were just small ways and means that, that God's people could have a, a sense of, of his presence. But that was never the end goal. The end goal was always that God will be physically present with his people. 
They're having some fun in there, right? We thought they might be upstairs this afternoon, but they're having a great time in there. That's fine. The end goal of God is always to be physically present with his people. The Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple. And then in John 4, we get Jesus. God the Father sends his son, he puts on human flesh, and he lived amongst his people. God is there, physically present amongst his people. All of human history, folks, is the story of God establishing his presence with his people. And God is so determined to do that. God is so determined to to be present with his people because, because he knows that that is the only thing that will satisfy our hunger for life. Being present with God, being in his presence is the only thing that will satisfy humanity's hunger for life. The presence of God, folks, brings life. In John chapter 4, Jesus has been traveling. He's coming out of this Jewish area of Galilee towards Samaria. And we kind of get a hint of it in the passage. The Samaritans believed in God. In fact, they did actually have Jewish heritage, but they weren't seen as Jews by the Jews. In fact, the the Jews hated them. You see that in verse 9, that they would avoid the area completely. Except Jesus doesn't. He heads straight for them. John tells us it's the sixth hour, which would have been midday, 12 o'clock, middle of the day. Now, if you've ever been on holiday to kind of anywhere around the Middle East, Turkey, um, Israel, Greece, anywhere around there, you will know that if you go out around 12 uh, o'clock in the middle of the day, There's no one out. Like everyone stays indoors, right? Because it's boiling hot. Yeah, this lady is out. John is hinting that this woman has chosen her time deliberately to avoid the crowds. As we read on, we see that she has a reputation in her town. She's a serial adulterer. She's committed adultery with several men. And even in the moment that Jesus meets her, She's having an affair with another man. See, she comes to the well at this time in the heat of the day to avoid the judging eyes of her neighbours. And it's there that she encounters the tangible presence of God. Jesus is thirsty. He's at the well and so he asks her for a drink. And she knows, he looks at him. It's, It's obvious by his appearance that he's a Jew and he's also a man. And so she's taken aback that Jesus would even speak to her. But Jesus pulls back the curtain about what he's there to do. In verse 10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She doesn't quite get immediately what Jesus is saying. She's like, "Mm, living water, that sounds good. Like, give me a bit of that. She thinks that Jesus is talking about some other source of water, some better quality water than what's found in this well. And so Jesus makes it really clear in verse 13 and he directs her attention towards the well. And he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life and the penny starts to drop so she says to Jesus give me this water so that I won't thirst again she's hungry for life folks 
we're all hungry and we're all thirsty. And there is so much offered to us in this world which promises to quench our thirst. So for the woman, it was relationships or sex. And she'd pursue those things in order to try and quench her thirst for life. And Jesus knows it. In verse 18, like he knows everything that's going on. He knows that she's onto her sixth attempt of trying to find life in relationships. Of trying to find life in sex in order to be satisfied. And it hasn't worked. And we know the same to be true in our lives. It might not be sex, it might not be relationships. But we go to the things of the world because we are thirsty, because we are hungry for life. And we take hold of something in a hope that it will satisfy us. And it never does. And it might be social media, it might be work, it might be relationships, it might be sex, it might be TV, it might be food, it might be possessions, but we all go and we drink at these wells in a hope that we'll be satisfied and we find that it is just like sipping salt water. Like it quenches our thirst for a moment. Have you ever done that? Like just had a gulp of water while you're out at the beach in the sea. I know some of you hate the beach, so this might not work for you, Matt. But if you're out swimming in the sea and you take in a load and, it's, and it does actually quench, quench your thirst for a moment, But then after not too long, your mouth just becomes really dry and you need a a drink of real water. Folks, that is the same as what happens when we go out into the world and we take hold of the things that the world offers and we think, yes, this will satisfy me. Yes, this will fill me. And we taste it and maybe it tastes nice for a moment. But after not too long, we find ourselves thirsty again. We find that it hits a ceiling. And then we move on to something else and that that satisfies us for a moment and then it hits a ceiling. And just like the woman, we move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the truth is they will never satisfy us because we were created for so much more. The Bible says, folks, that eternity is written on our hearts. That means that only something that is eternal can satisfy us. Sex is not eternal. Drink is not eternal. Work is not eternal. Food is not eternal. Let me tell you what is eternal. Jesus. Whether you're a Christian or not this afternoon, we all need the same thing. Jesus. We need his life-giving presence. That is the living water that he offers, by the way. It's himself. And he offers it freely to every single one of us. And it's free because he's paid the price for it. That is an offer he makes to all of us. If you are thirsty, if you are hungry, Jesus says, come and drink. Come to me and drink. If you're not a Christian this afternoon, you will, be, you will never be satisfied without God. If you are a Christian, if there is weariness, if there is fatigue, if there is dryness, come to Jesus. Turn away from the wells of life and ask him to quench your thirst with life. And he does that through the gift of his spirit. I just want to stop for 30 seconds and pray before we move on. Would you just close your eyes and I'm just going to um, pray, Father. You know, just like you know this lady, you know our hearts. You know that where there is thirst this afternoon, 
And we know that you can satisfy us by the presence of your Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Come, Holy Spirit, and quench our thirst where it is needed. Draw us to Jesus, we pray. In his name. Amen. Here's our next point. The presence of God is with his people. So this conversation with the woman at the well moves on. She's clearly carrying shame about her sinful relationships. Jesus knows everything that's going on. He knows that she's had five or six different relationships. He's exposed her heart and she feels the weight of her shame. And so much like all of us do. You know when we get caught out? And we're like, we need to kind of change tack a little bit here. She does the same. So she, she tries the holy route. She's like, okay, let's get out of this. Let's talk about something, something very different. Let's maybe, he's a holy man. Let's talk about something that, that he might be interested in. And so she goes on to talk about worship. She tries to distract Jesus and says, okay, um, um, Jesus, where will we worship God? The Samaritans believe that, that we would worship God on a mountain called Mount Gerizim. That was their holy mountain. The Jews believed that they would worship God in Jerusalem. And I just, just as an aside, just see what's going on here. This lady's trying to have a theological debate with God. <laughs> like, that's literally what she's doing. But do you know what I love in this? Jesus knows that, but he doesn't dismiss her. He doesn't laugh her off. He doesn't push her away. He's so gentle and he's so kind. Guys, if we've got questions and doubts, Jesus will meet us there with grace and gentleness. That's where he does. He lovingly entertains this woman. And he shows her, he answers her question. He shows her a profound change is coming when it comes to thinking about God's presence with his people. He says in verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So Jesus is looking beyond the cross, beyond the resurrection to Pentecost. So the time when Jesus leaves and he sends his Holy Spirit. And here's my conviction, that is the pinnacle of the gospel story. Pentecost is. After he's left the woman here, he, Jesus will go on to um, heal the people and, and teach uh, with a great power and perform different miracles. He will show without doubt that he is fully God and fully man. And then at the cross, he will hang and suffer and die as the sinless human. He will take the place of sinful humanity. He will take the penalty of our sin, which is the judgment of God and death. And then three days later, he will rise again, paying the penalty for our sin, showing that the sacrifice of his body has been accepted by the, by the Father, showing that he has power over sin, Satan and death. In his resurrection, he opens the door for salvation to all who believe. And so often we, we finish the gospel there. But his work isn't done. At Pentecost, Jesus ascends. Right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. At Pentecost, he ascends and the Holy Spirit comes. Prior to Pentecost, God's presence on earth was, was where Jesus was. And the coming of the Spirit means that God is no longer confined to it. His presence on earth is no longer confined to a tent or a, or a temple or just where Jesus happens to be. The coming of the Holy Spirit means the presence of God is literally with his people and where they are, so he is. And the rest of the New Testament shows us, yes, God's Spirit dwells in, in us as individuals if we are saved, but it shows us something, something even more glorious than that. 
God's presence is most tangible when his people gather together as his church. That's what you see through the New Testament. God's spirit indwells us as individuals, but he is tangibly present when his people gather together as his church. And I know most of us know that. Like we sung it as we, we sung that a new beautiful song before, that God's spirit is here dwelling with us now. We know that. Like we've come to church with that in our minds. We know the knowledge of Jesus being present by his spirit here. We know that. And can I just say that because I, I, I'm convinced of this, and I'm sure many of you are convinced of this, that this would be true. We know it, and yet most of us have been so accustomed to that truth that it has lost its beauty and lost its significance. The truth that God is present here right now by his spirit, we've got, we've got used to it. And so just for a minute, I want to slow down and let us just sit in the reality that the divine presence of God is here in our midst. Because that is true, that means that all that God is Right now, a quarter to five on Livingston Drive, all that God is, is available to you. His love is available to you right now. His mercy is available to you right now. His grace is available to you right now. His patience is available to you right now. His goodness is available to you right now. His truth, his provision, his forgiveness, his delight, his protection, his comfort, his fatherly affection, his defense, his rest, his strength, his power, his healing. All available to you right now. We are the most privileged people on earth. There is nothing on earth that compares to to this. There is nowhere on this earth that you can be closer to heaven when God's people gather together. And we're not saying that as we walk out the door that the Spirit of God is somehow different. But it is true that God has planned, and it's always been his plan, to work in community. That he saves individuals, but he saves individuals into a community. And so there is a sense in which we experience the power of his presence as we gather here in a way that we don't experience when we're on our own. So we experience the tangible presence of God as we sing. We experience the tangible presence of God as we hear him speak through his word, as we feast at this table, which we will do. All of the realities of God, which I've just listed out to us, you might not feel them on Sunday morning when you wake up. By the grace of God, you will be convinced of them as you gather with God's people. And so, church, as we renew our vision at this start of, um, as we kind of go out uh, renewing over these last three, three weeks, I want to call us into, into a season of prioritizing this, the gathering of God's people. 
I want to call us and encourage you to be here. To be here when you're joyful. To be here when you're engaged in the most difficult of trials. To be here when you're struggling. To be here when you're apathetic. To be here when you don't want to be here. Because when we gather together, we will be refreshed by the living water of God's Spirit. And we will then scatter to take that water out to our communities. This is the last thing we see here. The presence of God, folks, is what the world around us needs. Verse 25, the woman in our story has her eyes and her heart open to the reality that Jesus is the Christ. God is present in her mess. God is present in her sin, and he's not intimidated. He's gracious, he's gentle, and he gives this lady a promise of his eternal presence coming with his spirit. She's transformed by the truth of Jesus. And I just love the picture of it. She can't keep it to herself. I just love this kind of image of her running back to the town and telling her neighbours of what's just happened to her. But I love the picture of the disciples coming back. John's a bit of a comedian. Like if you read John's gospel, like he loves the laugh. Like he's, he's playing a little bit and he's, I mean, he's one of them. So he's putting himself in the situation here. But just imagine the picture. Them, the disciples come back. They see this lady with Jesus. Jesus is on, on his own with a Samaritan woman. And she sees the disciples come and she drops her jars and she runs away. And the disciples, like they've just gone to get some food. They're, they're kind of like, Whoa, what's going on here? And they do what we all do. You know when you walk into a room and you know something's happened, but it's just really awkward and you don't want to say something and you just kind of think of something to change the subject. And John literally says, they don't know what to say. Like they're, they're figuring out in their minds, should they say something? Should they challenge Jesus? And so they just land, uh, come up to Jesus and they're like, um, do you want something to eat? <laughs> Jesus says, it's okay, I've already been filled. Now he's talking spiritually, but like, I love the disciples because we so relate with them. They don't see what Jesus is saying and they're like, someone brought him food? Like, we've just walked through the heat of the day to try and get this guy food. Has someone fed him already? Like, they're slightly annoyed, a bit cheesed off. Jesus said, it's okay. I'm full because my food is to do the will of the Father. The Father has sent the Son to be present amongst his creation, to save them from their sin and to leave them with his spirit. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, that work, that work is, is being accomplished right now. And then this beautiful picture of, of Jesus lifting their heads and he pulls their focus towards the fields. It, it seems like there's fields of, of crops, some sort of harvest that's ready to be brought in. And he, he points them towards these fields and he says, there's more. There's more to be brought in. There is fields of sinners who are thirsty for life. And Jesus says they're ready to be brought in. They're ripe for harvest, friends. So Liberty Church, it's time to go. Not literally now, let's not kind of leave too fast, I haven't finished, but you get what I'm saying. It's time to go. The woman goes back to her town and she tells, John says, many people about Jesus. Now imagine the cost for this lady. Like she wasn't a popular person at all. She had a reputation. She was known to be a sinner. But the presence of God has so affected her that she doesn't care. So she drops her jars. She runs back to the town and she tells whoever she can. And John says, many believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. 
And John says they, they kind of call Jesus to come and spend some time with them. And he spends two days and more believe. Like I love this, this culture of multiplication. And that's why it's embedded into our vision of values. We don't just want to be a church who make disciples. We want to be a church who make disciples who make disciples. And we want to plant gospel communities that plant more gospel, gospel communities. And plant a church that then will plant more churches. This lady goes to her community She's present in her community and she brings about a change. She is tangibly present. She's not doing it from a distance. She goes to be with them. I believe she brings the presence of God with her as she goes. And we are to do the same. We're to practice a tangible presence in the places that God has put us. We're to hold out the living water that has quenched our thirst to a people who are dehydrated from an exhausting pursuit of life in this world. I was just reflecting on the life of liberty as we kind of renew our values here. Almost half of the time that we've existed has been in a pandemic, folks. Like we've been so restricted in our desire to be tangibly present in our community. And so now as we kind of see these opportunities opening up more, I want to encourage us to step into that. I want to encourage us to start practicing tangible presence in the places that God has set us. Enjoying God's presence as we gather together like this on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever we're together and then taking his presence and we go. And there'll be specific opportunities for evangelism and mission and for equipping for those things that will be coming up in the next few months. But I just want to just, as we round things off here, just speak more broadly about what it's going to look like for us to step into a season of practice and presence, tangible presence in our community. And it's going to look like being a people of word and deed. So first, we practice tangible presence in word. I'm convinced that there has never been a time in our lifetimes that people are more thirsty and hungry for hope than life. Like I feel it in the conversations I'm having with loads of people around me. People are desperate for it. They want hope and life. There is weariness. There is hopelessness. There is despair all around us. And folks, we have the presence of God with us. And we can't keep that to ourselves. I'm talking about a tangible presence in word, which is taking that bold step of sharing the good news of Jesus. Holding out the living water that we've received. There is nothing more urgent that we can do with our breath, guys. As I've been just sitting in this passage this week, the urgency of the woman has really gripped me. Her dropping her jars. Like, she obviously needed water, but she drops her jars because the presence of God has so affected her and she runs into the town with no care for her reputation. She just goes as fast as she can and tells as many people as she can. I wonder what it would look like for us to share that same zeal. Same zeal to be a people who practice the tangible presence of God in word, proclaiming who he is, holding out the living water. What would it look like for us to have that same kind of zeal? Prayer is key. Like we need to pray for each other. We need to pray that God would give us boldness. I encourage you to use your gospel communities, use your prayer groups. If you're not in a prayer group, then let us know and we'll add you into to one. Ask people to, to pray for you. Ask people to pray for people around you. We're going to look at restarting our church-wide prayer gatherings as well so we can pray uh, about that. We're going to explore training opportunities in the new year. Some things will be coming up. But do you know what I, I find would be really helpful for us? A vision. A vision of what it could be. 
as we be a people who, who practice tangible presence in word, proclaim the gospel, having a vision of what could be ahead of us. In verse 35 and 38, Jesus does that for the disciples. He lifts up their eyes to a harvest and shows them this is what's out there. This is what it could be. There's a harvest out there, brothers. He gives them a kind of visible, tangible thing to hold on to. Look, they could be coming in. And so here's a vision for us to look at at Liberty Church. What would it look like for us to share the hope of Jesus with 500 people between now and Easter next year? And we're only a small church, right? Um, I did the maths before and it's gone out of my head. You kind of work it out. It's something like, no, I'm struggling. It's less people than you think in your head right now between now and Easter. And we're not talking about kind of opening up John 4 and having like this hour-long Bible study. We're talking about just saying to someone, do you know what? Do you know who I think would really help you? Jesus. I'd love to tell you more. Or my friend would love to tell you more. That's it. There's, a, there's an opportunity holding out living water to someone there. It sounds like a big number, but when that's fueled by prayer, when we're encouraging each other, there's no reason why we can't meet that. And to help us, to kind of help spare each other on. This week, you're going to get an email um, off us, and that's going to have a link in there. I'd love you to bookmark that link. And whenever you have one of these conversations, just to throw a little line on there. Just tell us what happened and who it was with. You don't even need to put your name on there. And the reason for that is so we can aim towards the goal. We can work towards sharing the living water with 500 people, but so we can pray as well. I throw something on there. I just shared a little thing with my neighbor, Mike. Could you pray for him? As we gather in our GCs and in our prayer WhatsApp groups and and one-to-ones, we can just have a little flick through. We can be encouraged and stare at ourselves and then we can pray for these people. I want to encourage us to practice tangible presence in word and in deed. See, we're called to be people of the word, but we're also called to be good citizens as we go. Next week, we're starting a new series in 1 Peter. And I'm so excited because that's going to just really tease this out, really help us see that God's people should and do and will live different lives. Like in the early church, when Christianity was spreading like wildfire across the Roman Empire, people were being saved because the gospel was being proclaimed. But what won people into hearing was how radically different the Christians were. How radically different their presence was in the communities where they lived. They were the first in line to help those in need. They were the first in line to advocate for justice and to sacrifice their privileges for those in greater need. It is God's people practicing a tangible presence in word and deed that brought about a revolution after Jesus' ascension. And so each month, as we start the month on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to seek to be a church who are tangibly present in our community indeed. We're going to bring a physical need to you, a physical need within our community and ask us as a church to get behind that. And then the last Sunday in the month, we're going to get behind that and bring that in. And so this week, uh, this month, rather, you'll have seen we've been profiling the Women's Centre in Toxteth. 
And um, there's a couple of ladies in our church who volunteer and work with the Women's Centre with some ladies and families who have landed in the city with not a lot and they get alongside them and help them and care for them. And so we're going to regularly partner with them through um, just throughout the year. But on particular months, we're going to really just profile a specific need and ask us to get behind it. Lottie's going to share more about that in a few weeks' time. For each month, we want to get into a rhythm of being a people who are tangibly present, not just in word, but in deed as well. Sharing the good news of Jesus, but living lives which are distinct and different. Folks, what this world needs more than anything is the presence of God. And we have received, if you are a believer this afternoon, We've received him. We have received his presence. We have received his living water. We cannot keep that to ourselves. I want to encourage us as we just round out our series. Um, as you get this email this week, just have a look through the vision again and commit yourself to it. We want to be a people who are marked by truth, transformation, and presence, holding on and holding out the truth of the gospel, pursuing transformation in each other's lives and practicing tangible presence and join it as we gather together and taking it and being tangibly present in our communities. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that you've come and you've lived amongst us. Thank you that your presence amongst us by your spirit now changes everything. Thank you as we gather together as your people that you are at work. You are drawing us to see more of of Jesus. You are working on our hearts. You are provoking us and challenging areas of sin. And you are every day making us more like Jesus, transforming us more into his likeness. We thank you for the great work that you've done in our lives, but we don't want to keep it to ourselves. Help us to be a people who enjoy your presence, but take your presence out to the communities around us and live lives which, which are, are marked by a tangible presence of word and deed. Give us boldness and confidence. We need that, Holy Spirit. Help us to open our mouths and speak. Help us not to keep this living water to ourselves. And help us to be a people who live different lives in the communities that we are. Help us to be the first in line to help, to serve, to step in and, and advocate We do that because, Lord Jesus, that is what you would do. And Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the vision which you have given us. Help us to grow in our understanding of what it is and help us to live it out, not for our glory, not for our name, but for the glory of your Son.